Old Testament reading for today is from Genesis chapter 18, verses 1 through 10, which can be found on page 15 in your pew Bibles. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of day. Abraham looked up and saw three men sitting nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed, and then go on on your way, now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seers of bread of a fine flour, and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before him. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife, Sarah? they asked him. There, in the tent, they they said, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. This is the word of the Lord. The New Testament reading for today is Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, which can be found on page 1041 in your pew Bibles. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Sherman. So uh, this week, I did a 180 on this passage. Um, Last week, before I knew I was preaching on Mary and Martha, 
uh, Tony and I, actually it was the staff, we were talking about uh, this passage in the office, and I said something like, uh, like, Jesus, where do you think the food comes from? Like, somebody's got to cook it. Um, which Tony said, so you're siding against Jesus on this one. <laughs> and I was like, kind of? Like, maybe? Um, I did have in the back of my mind this vague memory that I had preached on this passage before and gotten around my discomfort, but I couldn't remember how. Um, this week, I saw this text in a new way, and I don't think I'll forget again. Um, I am now squarely on Jesus' side, <laughs> just in case you were worried about your pastor. Um, if you've been around church for a while, this story of Mary and Martha is probably quite familiar to you. Um, you know, in this story, Martha is doing a good thing. She has invited Jesus into her home, and she's doing what needs to be done to host him. Hospitality uh, was serious business in those days, and you did not mess around with it. There were all sorts of customs and rules to follow, and Mary should be helping Martha. Um, it was her duty as a host and as a woman. And Mary, of course, is not helping. Um, but not only that, she is also somewhere that she should not be. To sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to what he's saying, that's like code for saying that Mary has taken the place of a disciple. Um, and in that world, that was a place for a man, not a woman. A woman's job was to take care of the house and the cooking and the kids so that men could learn and men could work. Men were disciples, and women supported them. Um, some Jewish men would say a prayer, thanking God that they were not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Uh, some would say, uh, this is horrific, that it was better that the Torah, that's the first five books of the Bible, it was better that the Torah was burned than to be put in the hands of a woman. Um, it's pretty amazing that Mary had the gall to sit at Jesus' feet at all. And it is not at all surprising that Martha would take issue with it, um, especially if there's work to be done, and especially if that work is for the sake of hospitality. But Jesus makes space for Mary there as a disciple, and then he invites Martha to do the same. He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. It's a rebuke to Martha in her, I think, kind of resentful frustration, uh, but it's also an invitation. Um, it is an invitation for Martha to join Mary in a space that her culture would not have afforded her. He is inviting her to take on a very difficult kind of freedom. Like he's asking her to make a decision for her own freedom rather than forcing everyone else to make that space. Um, and he's challenging some very deep cultural norms. Like, and I don't know, maybe he thought that missing a meal was worth it so that these women and all women after them could know God intimately. Um, it's curious to me that Jesus didn't seem concerned with how it would all work out in the end. Didn't seem like 
he needed to explain, like, well, we're going to do it like this, and then this will, be, this will happen in the next. Um, he just seemed satisfied in this and a lot of other situations to kind of mess with the system and watch and see what played out. Um, like, what if Martha had sat down? Like, maybe the disciples would have been like, Jesus, you know, we like the girls too, but, like, isn't it time for them to go cook something? Um, I wonder, uh, as we talked about this in the office this week, we wondered if it might play out like, the, like when Jesus fed 5,000 on the, on the hillside and the disciples said, like, hey, let's go let them get some food. Maybe, maybe secretly they're like, we're hungry. Um, and Jesus said, you feed them. And they were like, uh, well, there's like a kid here. He has a couple loaves of bread. <laughs> like just the most sad effort at feeding thousands of people, uh, but an effort that was enough for Jesus. Um, you know, and we don't know, like the text ends right after Jesus' words, we don't know what Martha did. Maybe she sat down. Maybe they figured it out. Maybe she was like, and just went back into the kitchen. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but Mary, just by sitting at Jesus' feet, and Jesus, just by allowing her to stay there, they are engaging in a bit of a peaceful protest of the status quo. And Jesus invited Martha to join them in it. And what struck me so much this week is that Martha's, <laughs> Jesus' answer to Martha is so deeply challenging that it is still a challenge to me 2,000 years later. Like, I'm mad at Jesus in this passage because I am trapped in exactly the ways that Martha is trapped. I feel like there are rules that I am stuck in and I don't feel free to step out of them. Like, I feel her resentment often, but I'm doing that to myself. Like, what would freedom even look like? I'm not sure that I know. Like if you were to, if you were, but if you were to paraphrase what Martha says to Jesus, one way I think you could paraphrase it is, Jesus, will you please uphold the patriarchy? Mary should know her role. And Jesus is like, no. And thank God he said no. Like think, what if he had said, Mary, yeah, you should get up and help? Like that would have been super bad for women. Um... <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, he just said no. And then something like, and Martha, you don't have to be caught up in these rules either. He invited her to choose freedom for herself, that she does not need to stay in those chains anymore. And he doesn't spell out what it would mean for the next couple of steps, like who's going to make the meal. But that's okay. Like maybe my stress about that particular detail just shows how stuck I am in the rules. I don't know what freedom would look like, but I think that Jesus might be inviting me into it. Not to resent my chains, but to break them. And to w be willing to be vulnerable enough to see what would happen next. Jesus is constantly upsetting people's expectations, breaking the unwritten rules of his culture, sometimes the written rules of his culture, disregarding customs, making things awkward for everybody, 
like so uncomfortable, they don't know what is gonna happen next, and always he does these things for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of love. You know, when the disciples tried to shoo the kids away from him, Jesus made a point to stop and to bring them near. When he ran, whenever he ran across someone that people would rather avoid, people who they should avoid, they thought, the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, the leper, the beggar, the prostitute, the woman caught in adultery, the woman who had had five husbands, the tax collector, he always made a point to connect with them, to eat with them, to touch them, to heal them, to include them. And the religious leaders didn't know what to do with him. He was always breaking the rules, letting the prostitute wash his feet, healing on the Sabbath. Even the disciples didn't know what to do with him. Like, remember when Jesus stooped to wash their feet? And Peter goes, never, never. And it makes sense, of course, that Jesus wouldn't quite fit in. He wasn't just another Jewish rabbi. He was God in the flesh. The only person who had ever lived without sin. And he may have lived in ancient Israel, but he lived by the rules and values of the kingdom of God which are, of course, going to challenge every sinful society at every turn. He didn't fit so well there, and he wouldn't fit so well here either into any of our cultural camps, right? Not the Republicans, not the Democrats, not the rich, poor, middle class, not any state or country. Like, there's this great moment in the book of Joshua where Joshua meets an angel and asks, like, are you for us or for our enemies? And the angel's like, neither. I'm from God. I don't fit into any of these camps. Far too often we think that Jesus is on our side alone. Of course, that makes our conflicts um, almost impossible to resolve. Anne Lamott uh, has this great line in sure you've heard. She says, you can safely assume you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates the same people that you do. Just like Jesus challenged the norms in Martha and Mary's day, he'll challenge them today too, because the values of the kingdom of God are so often a reversal of the values of this world. That's why he said things like, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. And in the kingdom of, the he- of heaven, it is the last who will be first, and the first last. The kingdom of heaven takes so many of the values that we hold dear, that we think are just the right way to be in the world, and turns them on their heads. And so our faith in Jesus and our attempts to follow him, it re- requires a certain kind of vulnerability to challenge the rules for the sake of love without always knowing what will happen next. And it's tough to know exactly where that challenge will come, right? Because we are thoroughly schooled in the ways of the world. Until we run up against it, it's hard to see. But I think if we follow the way of love, love for God and love for neighbor, if we struggle to hold on to those at every moment, we'll be on the right track. I think it was um, St. Augustine who said, uh, in terms of discernment, Tony, you can tell me if I'm right about this, if you're listening. Uh, 
<laughs> I think he said, uh, love God and do what you want. Is that Augustine or Ignatius? I think it's Augustine. Anyway, this is a rule for discernment. Love God and do what you want. If we struggle to hold on to love for God and love for neighbor, we will be on the right track. Um, I don't think Mary needed to have a like, really clear understanding of the patriarchy to offer her challenge. She just wanted to be close to Jesus. She was just so taken up with Jesus that it kind of happened by accident. Her love led the way. And of course, love could lead the way to a clear understanding of the patriarchy also, or to any other system, or to protest, or to any, like there's all sorts of things, but um, like it doesn't have, I'm trying to say it doesn't have to happen by accident. Um, but I do think it has to begin at the feet of Jesus for it to be a clear and holy challenge. It has to begin with the love that God offers us. So I think, I mean, what came to mind for me and maybe is something that you, some of you have thought of is uh, what Neeland has been kind of going through uh, over the last few months. Um, if you're not familiar with the workings of our denomination right now, Neeland, a church not very far from here, has ordained a gay deacon because they saw the spirit moving in her, specifically. They saw her gifts for ministry. Um, and they are some, in some hot denominational waters right now. Um, not because they first had an opinion about the subject, but because they had a person in their midst who they loved. And they saw her faith, and they saw her love, and they acted accordingly. Um, and a lot of people are angry with Neeland, and some of those people will say, like, you've got to start with the Bible. You can't let your experiences dictate your decisions. And they're right to a point. Like, they're right, but they're missing, I think, that it is totally appropriate for a Christian that love would lead them into a new way of seeing the world and even open their eyes to a way of reading scripture that they hadn't considered. That maybe they wouldn't, weren't able or weren't willing to think through this until love asked them some questions. Now I'm not, I just I wanna clarify here, I'm not saying, oh, just throw out the Bible at all. I am saying um, that sometimes we are not willing to consider certain things until, and including certain readings of scripture, until we are led by love. Does that make sense? Does that sound like I'm saying throughout the Bible? <laughs> okay, good, because I don't want it to say that. Um, I mean, and what's interesting about them is that not everyone at Neelan thinks that they should be open and affirming in a, as a church. And that is actually another way that their love is leading them into some very uncomfortable territory. They are breaking a bunch of our cultural rules by saying, you know what, we're still going to do this together. We're still going to figure out how to love together. We will not give up on each other, even if our culture says that we should. Sherman has made some similar decisions, um, trying our best 
to sit at Jesus' feet and to let love lead us. And we don't know how this will play out for Neeland or for us. Um, and this is not a plea for... Uh, Sorry, I'm struggling with what my next sentence says. This is not a plea for tolerance, to just tolerate each other across lines of division, across how we interpret scripture. This is not a plea for tolerance. But you know, tolerance is okay. Paul says we should bear with one another, and that's a kind of tolerance. But tolerance has never been the goal for a Christian. Love is the goal. And it is much more strenuous than tolerance. It is a much harder call. Love is the goal even when we think that the other person is backward or ignorant or snooty or entitled or too sensitive or too conservative or too liberal or too lazy or a bad parent or whatever. Love is the goal. even when you'll never convince the other person that you are right. Like, even if you're never going to make any progress in that direction, love is still the goal. Love is the goal even when it will open you up to the vulnerability of critique. People will think you're wrong, like maybe being called out publicly by your sister because you're not upholding the norms of your day. Or like Jesus to something much worse. Now, I'm guessing that when many of you think of challenging our cultural rules for the sake of love, most of us at Sherman probably think of like social justice and protest, and, um, and that's good. But I also think that this is a kind of courage and a kind of freedom that we need every day. Um, and that it begins there. Like, it is the kind of freedom that we need to rest in a culture that says we are only worth it, we can, what we can produce. It is the kind of freedom that allows us to be present with the people we are with, rather than racing on to the next thing. It's the kind of freedom that allows us to not be available every minute, or check our email 20 times a day, because we need to have limits so that we can attend to our souls so that we can cultivate the capacity to love, so that we can give real time and attention to those who are in our midst. It's the same kind of freedom that allows us to value lives that will never be productive in the way that our culture defines it. The same kind of freedom that allows us to take the time to have hard conversations to seek understanding, because peace is really, really slow work. And our culture does not like slow work. You know, it's the freedom to make a big deal out of a conflict that feels embarrassing. Or that our culture says you should just get over it and ignore it. But if it's standing in the way of your love, then our calling is to take whatever time it takes to work it out.
It's the same freedom that allows us to be the ones who talk about the things that we don't talk about. So that there can be real healing and justice and reconciliation. It's the freedom that calls us to tell the truth even when it might be uncomfortable. Because we are people of truth even if the rules say otherwise. This freedom from the rules of our culture gives us a tremendous space for creativity, a tremendous space for a new thing, because all the avenues are open for us. If we can listen to this call to love, to love God and to love our neighbor in each moment, we can actually be awake to life and to one another in a new way, no longer just going through the motions of expectations and roles but wrestling out what is love in this moment. Um, I thought, as I was writing this, of Daryl Johnson, who was one of our preaching professors in seminary, um, a man just deeply in love with Jesus. And I remember one class, uh, there was a student in the class who asked a really awkward question. Um, it was an MDiv class, so he was in track to be a pastor, and he said, like, what do you say to people who say you shouldn't be a pastor? Um, which to ask in front of you know, 150 people or something, that's a, especially, particularly it was awkward because this man probably shouldn't be a pastor. Um, and I, caught in the rules, was like, you know, my anxiety is like through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, like, you can't ask a question like that, and like, how is Professor Johnson going to get past this and back into like, the material we're supposed to be covering in this class? Um, like, there's things we're supposed to do. But he didn't even flinch. He, I think his just call to love is so clear and so deep in him Instead of seeing like the awkward questions and all the rules about what's supposed to happen in a classroom and what's supposed to be public and what's supposed to be private, what it meant to be like a good professor or an intellectual or whatever he might have felt like his ego might have drawn him to in that moment, he saw the call to love and he followed it. And he saw in that, he saw the man in the midst of that. And he saw the pain behind the question. And he... Like, the professor, you know, normally stands back here to teach. He went right up to the front row and, like, leaned. Actually, he, like, put his knees on the front chairs to get as close to this man as he could. And he spoke really truthfully. He said, like, he said that he loved him. And he said, you know how much I love you. And he said he had gifts to offer the church. And he said probably that he shouldn't be a pastor. And it was so gentle, and it was so kind, and it was so real. And it was jarring because it broke so many rules in that space. And it was love, just present before us when so many other things could have called to such a different response. Like, oh, well, we'll just talk about that later. Why don't you come see me after class? Which maybe that would have been a good response to, I don't know. But, but I think the whole class was taken aback by how different it was 
to see someone respond to the person rather than the role. And it's such a small example, right? Like one thing that happened in one class. But this automatic move to love. I think that comes from the... <laughs> I think that comes from having sat at the feet of Jesus for so long from having looked at every different person they came across and thought, what does love look like here? That we become more concerned with loving God and loving neighbor than the expectations of our context, our role, our culture, any kind of ism we might face. And it is a beautiful thing to see. Of course, it's the same move that Jesus did for us, right? in every step of Jesus' life. Like, I think that it seems pretty appropriate to think that God should stay God and we should just be the humans. Uh, and yet, Jesus took on flesh. Theologians say things like, the unchangeable became changeable. Like it just completely destroyed the rules of how we understood God. And then, here, made everybody so uncomfortable, broke the rules so tremendously that he was killed for it. And then, of course, he broke the rules even of death to be raised to new life. And all of it, all of it, for the sake of loving each one of us. Let us be a people who keep our eyes on him, who learn what it means to to in any situation be paying more attention to Jesus, to more attention to Jesus' love for us and for whoever it is we're facing than we attend to any other thing. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we want so badly to be faithful to you and to see new things break forth in this world. Even in the small places of our lives, um, every place is small, I guess. Lord, that you let Mary sit where she shouldn't. Lord, may we know um, what it is to be obedient to you, what it is to love well, what it is to wrestle together for what is true and good and right. But may we do it all, Lord, um, sitting at your feet like Mary. In Jesus' name, amen.